0: Hello. Welcome to InToto, the podcast that takes a deep dive into Birmingham's first fine art initiative that focuses on homeless men. I'm here with Ms. Regal, the Executive Director of Firehouse Shelter. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Thank you so much for having me on today, Hunter. Like you said, I am the executive for Firehouse Ministries. So Firehouse is a nonprofit that focuses on Birmingham's chronically homeless men, and we help them all the way from street homeless to permanent supportive housing. Every year we serve over 5,000 homeless individuals in a variety of different ways, everything from Emergency shelter to feeding programs, clothing closets. We offer transitional housing, permanent housing, housing for Uh, men with serious mental illness and we really work on helping the people that wouldn't have access to any other sort of program so we jokingly say that we're the last house on the block meaning when doors have been shut everywhere else they come to the doorsteps of the firehouse and we do everything we can do to walk the path alongside people not in front not behind but walk the path with them so they can eventually be a meaningful part of the community
0: how many people do you think that you serve each year
1: well that's a great question so every person that comes to our doors we actually report them or record them in what's called hmis that stands for homeless management information services and our 2019 count was about 5,000 people. Now that's not just people that have stayed overnight, that's people that participate in our daily feedings, people that come to our recovery classes, which are open to the community. But as you can tell, that's that's a lot. Now in 2020, during the pandemic, and a time that a lot of agencies just shut their doors, uh, we still served about 3,200 individuals.
0: Wow, so could you tell me, where do you source all of your food that you feed these men with?
1: That's a statistic that I couldn't be more proud of. So we serve about 120,000 meals every single year and we have to pull less than a thousand dollars out of our annual budget and that's only because of the goodness of the community so local faith-based groups and corporations and businesses and individuals have really pitched in to make meals to come to the shelter and serve them pre-pandemic of course um but you know we were working to solve a devastating community problem which is homelessness and it can't be siloed we can't do it by ourselves mm-hmm. and the community has stepped up in a big way and has since we opened in 1983
0: okay so i hear you just joined a new group named in Could you tell me a little bit about it?
1: Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I was approached by a gentleman named Kyle Tyree. And Kyle has his own construction business, but he is truly a Renaissance man. So he teaches French in his his spare time and he loves sports and arts and all of this stuff. And he had come uh, to volunteer at our old shelter. So we moved into a brand new building in 2020 and had approached me on looking at a program for fine arts for men so obviously when you're serving homeless women they have access to a lot more creative resources therapeutic fine arts and reading and drawing and all of that stuff but traditionally homeless men um are are kind of kept down by the whole theory of they need to spend all of their time being pulled pulling themselves up by their bootstraps right and so their main focus has always been uh to get jobs and to only think about their episode of homelessness without any sort of creative outlet so kyle Approached me, um, like I said, a couple of years ago, uh, pitching this, and everything was just so busy with moving into a new facility and going through that fundraising. And at the firehouse, it's always a crisis. So we never were able to really make it happen until, let's see, I guess it was, June, I'm going to say August right before we moved in so we were in the middle of building the new facility and it seemed like a great idea because we would have space and that was a really exciting prospect so he pulled together a team of amazing uh community activists and artists and people that really have a passion for homelessness and we started meeting And it was all great uh, until until the pandemic hit in March, and that kind of put a damper in our plans, but we were able to overcome a lot of the challenges to provide this really valuable program.
0: Were y'all still meeting during the pandemic? We did, but everything was
1: changed. So instead of being in person, which is really kind of a linchpin for fine arts, we have had to uh pivot quickly and we were able to do things virtually so via zoom everything from just the extensive planning process where people you know actually there was some benefits because Um, Although there were some challenges that came from having to do everything virtually, we were able to pull together a really interesting group of people and not just located in Birmingham. So, usually when we're uh, working with the guest, we have a couple of people that are on site that, of course have to do very strict uh, protocol to make sure that uh, they're not spreading COVID and vice versa. And then we have probably about five other facilitators in different um, fine arts uh, mediums that that tune in online.
0: See, I find that really interesting. So why do you think that there's less artistic outreach for men rather than there are women in the homeless community?
1: Well, I hate to say it, but I think it's based on stereotype. Like we were talking before, um, homeless women are giving a lot of sympathy and, uh, allowed space to recover from whatever their trauma might be that led them into homelessness. But with homeless men, there's no sympathy. It's almost scorn. And so society thinks if they are not, Focus twenty four seven on their homelessness, on getting out of homelessness, um, and becoming a man. Then they're not doing their job, and often creative thinking and you know therapeutic fine arts is just not linked with men and that's a shame because when you're looking at people ending their episode of homelessness, it really it's what we call the trifecta of wholeness, mind, body, and spirit. And I think fine arts plays into all three of those categories.
0: Do you think that you've seen any changes since the beginning of Toto with your
1: yeah, absolutely. So this first season was a pilot season, so to speak. So we had four homeless gentlemen at the emergency shelter. So when you going in, you know that there was going to be some challenges pulling out of the emergency shelter instead of out of housing, but because of coronavirus, we felt like it was important to have people that were already around each other. Um and
0: So, have you seen any change in the homeless population since the beginning of Entota?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, because of COVID and all the different stressors that have come with that, I think that the men who originally started participating had a chance to express their feelings, had a chance to feel and think creatively, had a chance to really uh flex their their academic muscles through um interpreting poetry and things like that and as the weeks went on and we progressed i think the guys felt listened to and validated and heard which is something that when you're working with the homeless population the people that we serve just don't get that a lot and so i i would say the main change i've seen was people Becoming more relaxed and maybe even increase their self esteem a little.
0: So, based off what I already know, you guide your clients into housing that they can sustain themselves. So, do you think that in toto helps them, like in the workplace or outside of just the community?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, the whole theory behind therapeutic fine arts is to give people an outlet. To let them dig into things that have happened in the past uh, so they can process it effectively um, resolve any outstanding issues but also learning to be comfortable with public speaking and putting yourself out there Mm -hmm. helps in self-advocating so when they're out in the community looking for housing looking for jobs, things like that. They're able to effectively tell their story without feeling ashamed, without kind of shying away and not standing up for themselves. And so it really feeds into the much bigger picture of helping to end homelessness. Okay.
0: Could you just quickly walk me through how a meeting in Toto would work? Just the entire process
1: so one of the neat things about this program is it changes so it started off um with the idea being shakespeare for the homeless so Mm -hmm. we were going to find a shakespeare play go through the text be able to um make it more relatable and then potentially have a play put on for people in the community, and that money raised would feed right back into the program. But ultimately, as more and more amazing people started to join in different fine arts, we had everyone from um, Melanie Jeffcoat, who's a fantastic improv artist, we have Ashley Jones, who's a spoken word poet, we have Uh, students that are top of their class at University of Alabama in uh, studio arts. We decided, especially with the limitations of of doing Zoom, that every week we would have common threads, but it would all tie back into kind of therapeutic fine arts. So no classes run the same, but generally, we start off with a poem that's handpicked by one of the facilitators. Uh, the facilitator reads the poem and the gentleman um, uh, interprets it. And so there's conversations. There's lots of questions to give people an opportunity to express themselves, what they think, if they've experienced some of the common themes of the poetry and their real life kind of do a deeper delve. And this serves for a variety of different purposes. It gets people warmed up, gets them talking, getting gets them to know uh, their teammates gets them uh, familiar with the facilitators and then we go into the meat of the session so that might be different but usually it kind of um, it's like a follow theme so for instance this um, eight weeks we focused on what's called life mapping so basically it takes an early memory of their childhood good memories And they're able to write about it, talk about it. We uh, do a visual representation using collage and arts and painting. Um, And then there's more discussion about that. Maybe do some light improv to act out kind of what they're talking about and what they're experiencing. And then we usually end with another poem that's being read, some quiet meditation, and then it ends most classes are about an hour and a half but the gentlemen are able to keep their art supplies for studio arts in a isolated room back in the administration section and they can come all throughout the week to work on their art project so it's not just a hour and a half every single week it can really be a continuation and there are staff that participate um, case managers counselors things like that so if things get brought up they have an effective outlet to discuss it it's not just that they have to wait till next week
0: oh okay so how many times have y'all met and is it the same clientele or are you switching it up
1: that's a great question so we just finished our first session it was eight weeks um and it ended in this really cool project where um where they were able to write christmas uh notes to someone they cared about like to their families and one of the saddest things that i had witnessed was two of the gentlemen decided to write their Christmas notes to themselves because they had no family and they wanted to ensure that they got something for Christmas. So I think even with that, even though I can say that sounds sad, it's really, it's pretty healthy because they're saying I'm worth something, I'm worth getting a letter. Um, And so we've taken a small break in between So we'll start back up here in about a month. Usually we keep the classes between six to eight um, guests at the shelter, but we can grow it when we can meet in person. It's just working with Zoom. It gets a little chaotic, hard to hear um, when you have a lot of the facilitators being online on Zoom and people sitting in a room. So we're trying to cap it.
0: Do you think that holding these meetings at the shelter is a limiting factor, or do you think it's helpful for the guys to be doing it uh, on-site?
1: Yeah, so our ultimate plan was to pull people, everyone from street homeless to people staying in the other shelters, to not limit it um, to just men so people could get to know each other because i think when people are affiliated with one nonprofit like they turn into a firehouse shelter guest or salvation army guest or first light guest and we really wanted to flatten the community so they could make new friends get new support systems and we haven't been able to do that because of covid i think that it is helpful to have it on site because one of the biggest barriers in the homeless community is transportation and so having it on site people already live at the firehouse so they can just come but even even with that there's a lot of scheduling issues and it can be challenging
0: okay so because it's a challenging time do you think that Entoto will forever be held at the firehouse shelter or do you think that this is more of a stepping stone to a larger idea
1: i think that we are very blessed and that we finally have space at the shelter and that matters because everything from acoustics to making sure people can spread out to have their own space when they're working on private projects i think it's a really good fit and like we talked about before with the numbers we have the majority of the homeless population the homeless male population at least I would like to see um, as some of the pandemic restrictions lift and things get back to normal, I think it's important to bring it to the other shelters. And I think a big component is um, having the participants be able to have a culmination in like a play or something like that. So TAM, Um, who's one of the founding members, is actually the executive director of Terrific New Theater, and I think she's going to try to host something. So I think we can expand with space, but we don't want to expand it too much too quickly because this is very private information and small groups are more effective, so I think we're going to have to resist growing quickly.
0: Hosting an organization like this obviously speaks to the personal level that you interact with your guests on. Do you think this differentiates you from other shelters?
1: Yeah, I think so, and I'll tell you why. I think it's because 50% of the firehouse shelter staff are formerly homeless um, or in recovery. And so that means that the people that our guests are interfacing with daily have walked the path themselves they've been through the struggle they have a really deep understanding and we're a low demand shelter meaning that people do not have to be sober they don't have to be on medications there's really only three rules you can't be violent verbally or physically um you can't have drugs or alcohol on property and if you make a mess you have to clean it up so we really understand that the people that we serve they're not the ones that have the bachelor's degree in their back pocket right a lot of our guys actually 68 percent of the people we serve have three or more disabling conditions and so we understand it's not sticking them in a eight-week uh jobs program and then all of a sudden they're magically going to be out of homelessness. There's a lot of caretaking. There's a lot of personal connection. There's a lot of understanding that if someone's been homeless for 30 years, then it's going to take them longer than 30 days to get out of their their episode of homelessness. And I think in Toto really feeds into that kind of holistic care.
0: So when the firehouse shelter decided to be low requirements it's to my understanding that you're a christian organization right
1: we're a faith-based organization
0: okay so it's not a requirement to follow any specific faith like other organizations is it
1: that's right so we are a faith inclusive organization and i glibly say uh we're not a pray to play organization Meaning we believe, once again, in the trifecta of wholeness, mind, body, and spirit. But we're not going to force people or hang a plate of food over people's heads to explore their spirituality. So if someone comes in and they're Christian, we make um, religious uh, Bible studies, we transportation to church, literature available. If someone's Jewish, we'll link them up with the synagogue of the community. Same if someone is Muslim. Or if someone is struggling with their faith or has no faith at all, that's perfectly okay. Uh, The only mandatory thing that we do is is we pray before meals, and people just have to be respectful. Um, I would say the majority of people that we serve do identify as Christians. Uh, A lot of our guests have said that their faith is literally the only thing they have. Literally the only thing. They they have the clothes on their back and their faith. And so uh, we offer Bible studies on site and some things like that, but it's never mandatory.
0: That's amazingly inclusive. So how did you go about choosing the clients for the Intoto group because it's so limited?
1: That's such a great question. So for this first pilot um eight week period we talked to the case managers and we wanted people that had desired to, to experience some sort of outlet, um, and people that were far enough along in their process where communication wouldn't be a struggle um and so it was really easy to come up with our initial roster of folks and more people wanted to participate but it was really important for us to make sure that it was a good inclusive group that we would be able uh, to keep what was shared um in the group and people that didn't have such a high level of trauma that it might open wounds and and they wouldn't be able to seek additional care to process it during covid so
0: what challenges have you faced since the beginning of Intoto? Have there been any, any issues with like finding clients for this, or uh, what's the issue?
1: Um, I think one of the biggest issues we've had is the homeless population is incredibly transient, and people have this misnomer, this misconception, that being homeless means that you're free when in reality it is exactly the opposite when you're homeless you're told when to eat what to eat when to go to bed when to wake up all of those things are planned out and so even though we tried to pick a time we do it um on thursdays around four thirty. so after some people have gotten home from work but before our we offer aa classes which a lot of people participate in our groups um so we thought it was going to be a good time, but there's been a lot of issues with people having counseling that are being set or their case managers have to meet with them. And then happy, happy challenges like people move out of the shelter into housing, but then you get into transportation issues mm. Um so i would say that's our main challenge everyone was very when we did our exit interview when the group ended it was only positive comments people are desirous of continuing on with it Um, but the attendance making sure that people had availability was difficult and that's a that's a barrier i don't know how to change
0: okay well that's very interesting so um just how many years has it been since you've moved into the new shelter?
1: So, we actually moved into our brand new facility March 8th, and then COVID hit around March 28th, is when we realized we were going to have to go into lockdown.
0: Do you think that this new shelter has opened up more opportunities for things like in Toto and other meetings?
1: Oh, so many opportunities, and I can't wait to be able to explore them all. Obviously, with COVID, one of the big things that we had to do was drastically reduce the amount of people um, that came in and out of the shelter. So Firehouse is very reliant on our volunteers. As a matter of fact, in 2019, we had over 6,000 volunteers. But when you're looking at that in COVID terms, that's (laughs) 6,000 potential positives walking in and out of the shelter. So we really had to um, close our doors, do a lot of things in-house. And one of the things that unfortunately had to be dropped were counseling sessions and, and job skills training and Bible studies and all of that stuff. But I think actually having the space will allow us to really um expand what we're able to offer on site so people will be able to access it including the street homeless so even folks that aren't staying at the shelter and another big piece of uh, in toto that we haven't talked about is um when everything opens up we're really hoping to do open mic nights like coffee house nights that are open to the homeless population people from other shelters where people can share what they've learned in groups, do their poetry, do readings, um, and then have breakout groups for arts and things like that. So we're really excited about the potential. And that potential only comes with having nice, clean, adequate space, which we've never had before.
0: Obviously, y'all are coming up with plenty new ideas every waking month. So when you have these ideas, do you bring it to the population and see what they think about it? Or is this an internal affair?
1: No, that's one thing that, um, that's the reason that when you're experiencing homelessness in Birmingham, firehouse is normally your first stop, is we realize that you can read all the books that you want, you can get all the degrees in the world, but ultimately the way you run an organization should be in line with the people that are utilizing their services. And so anytime we have an idea, we pull together a panel of guests that are currently staying with it and get their feedback and advice. And that's been a big part of this program is after every single class, they're able to express what worked, what didn't work, Um, And then we tailor the program and almost everything that happens in the shelter based on the actual consumers, the actual guests' advice.
0: What do you think the most useful trait that's developed in InToto is?
1: Um, I have been most impressed with uh, the level of intellectualism that's come out. Our guests are looked at as just, using air quotes, Uh, being homeless individuals but in this first class we had someone who was a touring drummer a nationally touring drummer we had someone who has written a book and we had a former computer programmer so we're not talking about slackers here we're talking about people that have Uh, Been presented with challenges and they're working to overcome them But an immensely talented group of people that haven't had a chance to um, To be intellectual and so I think that's one of the most beautiful things is watching people even from the first class like pick apart poems was amazing
0: Wow, okay, so you said that none of your clients that are slackers so I I can just draw a comparison that the majority of people think that homeless are slacking or just aren't putting enough work into getting jobs or whatever. So do you think that the community is becoming more accepting or what do you think the mindset has changed in the last few years or do you think that this... Precedent still stands.
1: I think that homelessness and working to solve homelessness is oftentimes simplified. And I think that there is a lot of stereotypes that are based in systemic racism. And once you start peeling back the causes of homelessness, like just peeling an onion, there's lots of different ways that the system is set up for people living in poverty, people of color, um, to to fail. And so I don't think that we look at the homeless population as individuals, just like you or me. Um, and I, I do think that's changing a little bit um, as we've become collectively a little bit more justice-minded or aware. I think there's a long way to go, but programs like in Toto where you're taking something that people from all different walks of life um understand arts. Mm-hmm. Things like that and you're putting in a population that maybe most people don't understand like the homeless and what you're going to get is uh, people opening their eyes up a little bit and finding that level or that point of connectivity and understanding, which is really unique and beautiful. So I do think things are changing. It's just a very, very slow process.
0: Well, that's good. So the community is a huge part of accepting. So when you moved into your new shelter, was there any pushback from the community?
1: Oh, there was so much pushback actually um, on a building that sits right across the alley from us. It says "No Mission, Mr. Mayor," mm-hmm. uh, that's spray painted in giant letters. And the funny thing is, we've had every opportunity to paint over it, but instead, we chose to get T-shirts for the entire staff that say "Mission Accomplished, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mayor." Um, and we face that every step of the way because there's there's an acronym and the and the homeless rights population it's called nimby and nimby stands for not in my backyard so you have everyone that say oh i care about homelessness i wanna i wanna change it i wanna help solve it but i don't want to help them in my neighborhood not in my backyard and so even when you're looking at a place that's mostly light industrial people will just come out of the woodwork saying, well, I don't want homeless people in my neighborhood. And so it's, it's kind of two-faced. But mm-hmm. that's something that we as an organization, and certainly, bless their hearts, our guests have to face every single day.
0: Wow. So because of this community pushback that you received at the beginning of the opening of your shelter, did you face a reduce in volunteers?
1: no actually and i will say the majority of people that volunteer with us on a regular basis are civic-minded organizations and faith-based organizations and if anything um you know our volunteer base has expanded and of course it was shut down right away because of covid but i feel like once everything's lifted because there's so many different ways people can volunteer including in toto Um, that we're going to get more and more community support because the fact of the matter is we cannot move forward as a community um, without taking everyone along with us including people living in poverty including the homeless population and people's eyes are beginning to open to that
0: so you mentioned nimby and how there's an entire movement of people that are kind of two-faced in the idea of helping the homeless but also not wanting it too close to them. Do you think that that will change in recent years or is this going to be a multiple decade movement?
1: I think it's going to be a multiple decade movement or longer. Homelessness has always been around. Homeless people, people living in poverty, have always been pushed to the jagged fringes of our society because it makes people feel uncomfortable. And vulnerable um, and I think it holds up a looking glass into all the things that we really need to change and it's easier just to ignore it rather than face it but that's that's a slow process so we take it kind of the old saying how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time well our little bites are getting in getting people into the shelter serving a plate getting to know just one person experiencing homelessness it's a slow process but i truly believe eventually as a society we will begin to value all life
0: okay so so now that covid has hit What's your policy with volunteering? I know you keep using the words shut down, but um, could you explain a little bit more?
1: Sure. So when COVID hit late March, um, we did a total lockdown with volunteers, and we've pretty much kept it that way. We've tried to allow people to come in, but out of the 10 volunteers we've allowed in the building, five have (laughs) gotten covid uh, within three weeks of starting to volunteer and we have a lot of high needs guests right now in the shelter We have two gentlemen with stage four cancer. We have two victims of violent crime We have a guy that's recovering from a uh, hip surgery and so uh, We can't risk them getting sick and um, we will allow four volunteers in at a time that have volunteered with us before that we feel like will follow the health and safety protocols you know constant mask wearing and things like that specifically around our feeding program but other than that it's it's very specific tasks like for instance in in toto it's important for us to have at least one facilitator on site um, and then we have staff that come in and, and participate with the guys. But usually it's one person, either Kyle or another, uh, whoever is, is the focus on the main lesson. They'll come in through the admin door, wear their masks the entire time, and not go into the general shelter.
0: So what do you think the next step for Toto is?
1: The next step for Toto I think, is going to be perfecting our eight-week programming um so we'll probably have a couple of more cycles of that zoom is working okay i don't think it's at its full potential um i think fine arts it's really important to have that in-person connection it can be distracting with cameras and microphones and things like that so we're probably not going to change the format too much until vaccinations um are a little bit more widespread, but eventually we would like to do the open mic nights, which would be a big volunteer effort. Um, And then open it to other shelters once things become a little bit safer. And ultimately we would like to do a full stage program, either a mixture of fine arts discipline or an actual play written by the guests and performed in front of the community.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So. Could you, so if you wanted to volunteer, how would you go about doing that?
1: so right now we do have some needs that people can volunteer without actually having to come in the shelter so our feeding program is huge we usually serve about one hundred and twenty thousand meals every single year Um, but now that covid is a thing instead of inviting all the street homeless into the shelter and doing our normal hot meal line and things like that The guys that are staying in the shelter, eat in the dining room, and then we serve the street homeless um, outside. So if it's pretty, we'll set up tables or we'll just give people uh, sack lunches or to-go boxes. And so one huge need for volunteers is we serve about, mm, I would say, 40 to 50 to-go meals every single day. So if people can make those meals off site, drop them off, we have a contact free drop off system at the shelter. That's really, really helpful. Um, we do allow high school volunteers, oh. but we try to make sure that there's not a whole lot of contact um, with our 18 and under with the clients just because of liability issues and all that good stuff. So we do have high school volunteers that Will come in and help with administration or sorting the pantry or cleaning the clothing closet. Actually, one of my very favorite volunteers of all time is participating in In Toto. She came to me as a junior uh, from Homewood High School volunteered her senior year, went to University of Alabama, and then as a senior, she is actually the youngest firehouse shelter employee. She's 21 years old, but a true passion for helping and homelessness. So I just, I firmly believe that no matter how old you are, if you're interested in making a change in our community, the best way to do it is just by putting yourself out there. So, if you're interested in volunteering, call us. Go online at firehouseshelter.com. Um, send me a message, and and we'll get you linked in and whatever is safe and wherever your interests are. Actually, we we had some Spain Park volunteers from the theater program uh, come a couple of years ago at the old shelter and serve a meal, and they were absolutely fantastic it makes an impact in the homeless community and i think it made an impact on the students as well
0: and spain park and homewood are both local schools here
1: yeah absolutely i think it's important to remember how flat our community is and homelessness and poverty are issues that aren't just in downtown birmingham they are in local areas and it's important for us to all lift each other up no matter where your families are no matter where they are and come together as a community. So
0: so you were talking earlier about um your volunteers and them coming back and volunteers that you trust. So are most of your volunteers Um, recurring or are they new volunteers every time?
1: No, most of them are recurring. We have volunteers that have been volunteering with us since 1985. (laughs) So the firehouse kind of sucks you in because our guests are amazing and I like to think that the staff are pretty amazing. So we do get lots of people that just come and do service projects for school or whatever but most people they'll start volunteering when they're little, like through their church and continue throughout their whole life If they're local, so that's pretty special.
0: Our most volunteering comes from faith based organizations?
1: Yeah, we have a lot of support from our churches. Um, A lot of the youth groups will come and serve meals. Uh, a lot of civic and school groups will come, but once you actually take that first step and get over your fear, it's so rewarding, and it feels so good to be able to connect with people that even when they're not affiliated with their church or their school anymore, they'll continue to do it.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much for being here. I just had one last thing. Uh, I'm going to read off a poem, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, if that's okay. Sure. Sure. May the tide that is entering even now, the lip of our understanding, carry you out. Beyond the face of fear, may you kiss, the wind then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever, and may you, in your innocence, sail through this to that.
1: I think that's a really beautiful poem, and that's one of those things that I think the more you read it, uh, the deeper it gets.
0: Thank you so much for coming on to my podcast. Um, I'm just going to read a poem for my listeners so that they can think about it until the next week when I release another podcast about one of the clients from Mentoto.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: May the tide that is entering even now, the lip of our understanding, carry you out. Beyond the face of fear, may you kiss, the wind then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever, and may you in your innocence sail through this to that. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. This has been incredibly informative. Thank you so much for coming onto my podcast where... Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. It's been incredibly informative.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'd just like to end by reading a poem that was presented to the Intoto group at the firehouse. May the tide that is entering even now, the lip of our understanding, carry you out. Beyond the face of fear, may you kiss, the wind then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever, and may you in your innocence sail through this to that. And that poem is by Lucille Clifton. Uh, I'd like all of you to think about that for the next week, when you will be joining me back for another podcast with one of the members of the Intoto group from the Firehouse Shelter. Thank you.